0: But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the, the Nile, and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let us pray. In peace we pray to you, Lord God. Today ours may be a tenuous and tentative peace. We come to you with all the anxiety and uncertainty about this pandemic and when the suffering in this city and this world will end. We come with all the turmoil and unrest that has gripped our cities over these last few months surrounding the safety of our neighbors. We come with all of the tension and fear about our upcoming election. We come with the concern for and helplessness about the natural disasters which have overwhelmed many of us over the last three months. Help us, God, to trust you to provide for us when we cannot see evidence of provision. Help us to believe that you have led us safely to this place, that you will lead us safely beyond it. Help us to confess rather than complain to bear witness rather than bear grudges, to love, not loathe those with whom we strongly disagree. God, keep safe those dearest to us, our missionary friends, our extended families, our near neighbors, our co-workers, those who teach our children, and keep safe those who are alone. May we bless and praise your name forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who with you and the Holy Ghost
1: reigns one God, world without end. Amen.
2: Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord.
1: Good morning. Well, I hope all of you are doing well this morning. It is good to be with you. I want to read today Psalm 78, 1 through 4, and 12 through 16. Psalm 78, 1 through 4, and 12 through 16. My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders He has done. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors. In the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan, He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas he brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like the rivers let's pray father we are so thankful to you for guiding us for leading us father we are grateful that we can that we can be called children of yours We are grateful for the many blessings that you give us. Father, we pray that you'll continue to guide us. Guide us like you guided the Israelites. Father, we uh, don't see the cloud by day or the light physically, uh, the fire at night, but we we know you are with us. Father, we are so grateful for that. We thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that that He lived, that He gave us a an example. that He told us, that He taught us your commandments. And Father, we pray that we can live like He did. Father, we pray that we can be an example to others and to serve others. Father, we're so grateful for this morning. We're so grateful that we can be together as a family, even though it's virtual. Father, we are grateful for our family. We are blessed by our family. We love our family. And we thank you. Father, we uh, pray that that, that uh, you will guide us this week. We uh, pray that we can serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Good morning, church. We live in a time of disruption. New technologies have given voice to the voiceless, but these same technologies have clouded our understanding of authority. We saw this about 500 years ago. Books were expensive and rare. In the West, the Catholic Church controlled most educational and cultural thought. However, at the invention of the printing press in the mid-15th century, Books became less expensive and more common, and it's no accident that the the disruptive forces of the Protestant Reformation and Enlightenment followed in the next century. The printing press fueled their rise, just as the Internet has fueled our recent disruption. Some of this is good, some of this is bad. Embedded in this, though, we have to make wise decisions about authority, Where do we go for authoritative information and wisdom when it comes to news, healthcare, science, relationships, education, and faith? If we listen and follow the wrong authorities, we'll end up in an unhealthy place. But if we listen and follow the right authorities, we will prosper along with our families and neighbors. In this morning's reading... Jesus responds to the questions about his authority and offers a compelling example of how to discern authority. Our gospel reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. "'By what authority are you doing these things?' they asked. "'And who gave you this authority?' Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But... He did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. So who were these religious leaders? They had religious, social, and legal authority under the permission of the Roman Empire. Remember, Rome allowed conquered people to continue to function for economic purposes and taxation as long as nothing disrupted the status quo. These Jewish leaders settled for the crumbs from Caesar's table. Why? Power. They gained power from the continuation of the status quo. They couldn't be completely free due to Rome, but they could have power. And they exchanged the purity of their faith for that power. It was going fairly well until Jesus, a source of disruption. Through his miracles and teaching, Jesus awakened the common people, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, to what was really going on. Jesus captured their hearts to the true fulfillment of the promise to Abraham as Jesus was the son of David. And Jesus was bringing in the kingdom of God. This kingdom disrupts the status quo, disrupts the Jewish leaders, and disrupts the Roman Empire. So they asked him, how do you have the authority to do this? And he responds by trapping them in a question. Where did John get his authority? Like Jesus, John had been popular among the common people, but not the secular or the religious elites. Specifically, he called out Herod's adultery and his defilement of the meaning of marriage. So Jesus traps them by asking, was John's authority from God or human origin? And if they say God, well, they're going to implicate themselves because they didn't obey John. But if they say human origin, then the people will turn against them. Being good politicians they refuse to answer wisely jesus says he won't answer their question if they won't answer his but in a way he does answer their question by the telling of the parable let me read that part again start in verse 28 what do you think there was a man who had two sons he went to the first and said son go out and work today in the vineyard i will not he answered But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Put differently, uh, which means more? Saying the right thing or doing the right thing? Uh, Let's think of the virus. Which is preferable? So you got two people, let's say. The first person isn't sure the virus is is really as bad as all the experts say. They think we're making way too much out of this. But at the end of the day, they don't claim to be an expert. So when they go out, they wear a mask, and they practice social distancing. The second person says they believe the science. They believe the CDC, the NIH, the WHO, and they get really frustrated about those who don't seem to be doing the right things. They're almost judgy of them at times. But when it comes to their own actions, they don't always wear a mask. They don't always follow the protocols. They say the right stuff, but they don't always do it. Who would you rather have as your neighbor? Honestly, if those are my two choices, I'd rather have the neighbor who does it, even if he doesn't always say it. And this is Jesus' point. The right thing is easy to talk about, but hard to do in practice. Think about it. We've all experienced the letdown of someone saying they'd do something, but not following through. Hey, I'll call you. I'll stop by. I'll do those reports. I'll invite you over. We'll get together. I'll pick up milk on the way home. I'll be there for you. But they don't do it. They say one thing, but do another. Why did you say it if you weren't going to do it? Maybe they forgot. Maybe they got busy. Maybe they wanted to, but just didn't have the willpower to follow through. Or maybe they were more focused on saying the right thing than doing the right thing. How does this relate to the religious leaders? If you proclaim something as an authority, you have to follow that up by doing what they say. And the religious leaders can't go back now and say, John acted on God's authority because that would mean they did not do what God said. A lot of people give lip service to God as an authority, but their actions show otherwise. Family, our actions always reveal our authority. It's one of the great lessons we learn as we get older. Focus more on what people do than what they say. We've all heard the expression, actions speak louder than words. And it's true. Consider your own actions. What do they say about you? If I tell someone I want to talk to them and visit with them, get to know them, but I stare at my phone more than them, my actions speak louder than my words. If I say, we need to be doing a lot more to help the poor, but I invest much more time and money on my own hobbies than the poor. My actions speak louder than my words. If I, if I tell my family I love them more than anything, but I get much more excited when the Titans win, or the stock market goes up, or a new movie trailer comes out, my actions speak louder than my words. And if I tell someone Jesus is my authority, but I quote my favorite political commentator, More than I quote Jesus, my actions speak louder than my words. To illustrate this point, Jesus highlights an unlikely group here at the end. And this group didn't say the right thing at first, but over time, they did the right thing when others didn't. The words of Jesus, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This would have been hard for the religious teachers to hear. After all, these were the two groups they had scapegoated the most. They pointed to these groups as the reason why God had not delivered them yet from exile. They blamed these groups for everything that was wrong about society. Yet, Jesus says these groups are entering the kingdom ahead of them. What's going on? People resented tax collectors because they worked for the Romans. They took money from the Jews and they gave it to Rome. They made their profit by taking more than they were required. And think about it what made a good tax collector? Intimidation, manipulation, even brute force. And the religious leaders spoke out against them, which was kind of ironic. After all, they sold out to the Romans just as much. They just Hit it better. And honestly, a lot of that hiding was the way they had structured the temple and the economic system around the temple. But some tax collectors heard the message of Jesus and they repented. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? After meeting Jesus, he promises to make amends for his past and to act ethically and fairly in the future. To be clear, Jesus is not saying the greed and manipulation of the tax collectors was no big deal. Instead, he's highlighting how some tax collectors have repented and now act justly, and their actions now speak louder than their words in the past. Likewise, the religious leaders demonized the prostitutes with similar irony. I found this quote in the IVP Women's Bible Commentary. Beginning of the quote, They despised prostitutes, blaming them for their lifestyle and conveniently overlooking the fact that men's demand for sexual gratification or men's failure to provide for widows and desperately poor women drove them to the trade, end quote. The religious leaders played a role in the reality of prostitution even if they never personally solicited, yet they scapegoated them. They're the problem, not us. But some prostitutes had heard the message of Jesus and repented. In fact, scripture tells us Jesus frequently hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Remember the story of the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with her hair? Jesus' gracious acceptance of her changes her life. And similar to the tax collectors, Jesus does not affirm sin, but he does embrace people. More than embrace, he helps them become the people God created them to be. And what does he mean by, by this saying, entering the kingdom of God ahead of you? That doesn't mean they will have a hierarchical role in the kingdom above others. Instead, it means they're in the kingdom now. But we're not really sure about you yet. It means they're already experiencing a taste of the kingdom now. They traded their allegiance to Jewish elites and Roman power for the kingdom of heaven. They found a totally different authority. In my life... I found that the people that understand Jesus the most are often those who spent considerable time away from him. They said no at first, but now they've said yes, with the actions to back it up. Every month, I get a magazine in my mailbox called Christianity Today, and I've subscribed to that for years, and it's been around since I think the 1950s. And in the very back of the magazine every month, on the back page, they offer a testimony. Someone who formerly didn't follow Jesus shares their story of coming to Jesus. And often, they were part of a group some Christians like to demonize. Drug addicts, alcoholics, adulterers, members of other religions. It's my favorite part of the magazine, and it's always the part I read first, because every time they show me something I didn't know prior. Looking beneath the surface, I always see this theme. They had an authority in their life. Parents, friends, political party, famous person, another religion, secular wisdom, often the self. And then they traded that authority for Jesus. Jesus became the authority in their life. And when Jesus became the authority in their life, their actions changed. It's like reading stories of tax collectors and prostitutes who are entering the kingdom, sometimes ahead of me, maybe ahead of you. Church family, is Jesus our authority? Are we more concerned with saying the right thing or doing the right thing? Are we more concerned about looking good or doing good? Family, remember your loyalties. Remember your commitments. When you stood in that water amidst a great cloud of witnesses, you made a promise, you said that Jesus would be your number one authority. Have you lived up to that? If you haven't, it's not too late to repent and if you've never made Jesus your authority, it's not too late to profess the gospel. Jesus is Lord, the only Lord. We live in a time of disruption which is only worsened due to the pandemic, and the disruption has clouded our judgment on what voices our authorities And what voices are imposters, even liars? The world needs wise, calm, and resilient people who will do the right thing no matter the cost. And I want to be one of those people. And I know you do as well. And together, we want our church, the Ackland Church, to be a group of those people. And it all starts by naming Jesus as our authority. Jesus is a God of truth, holiness, justice, and love. And Jesus is our ultimate authority. And therefore, we must filter all secondary authorities by this same filter, his filter. Truth, holiness, justice, and love. And that claim that Jesus is our authority is daily measured by this. Not what you say, but what you do for actions speak louder than words. Family, let us live out the teaching of our gracious Lord. May we join the tax collectors and prostitutes as we enter the kingdom of God.
3: Please take a moment to uh, to worship
4: God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. In preparation for the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 10. Who would have believed what we just heard? When was the Lord's power revealed through Him? He sprouted up like a twig before God, like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow Him. He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant, but he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of His wounds, we've been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on His own path. But the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack Him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but He did not even open His mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before shears. He did not even open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people he was wounded. They intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully. Though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, Once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life, and the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Pray with me, please. Glory to you, O God. Your majesty and power are beyond our understanding. So is your love, which you showered upon us in abundance and without end. We take this bread and wine, demonstrating our knowledge of what you've given us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our existence and essence is one with Him. Our divinity is through that union. Because of your love's power over spiritual death and separation from you, we have been restored to life eternal through His resurrection, our being one with Him. It was your will from the beginning, that we would be with you. And our life's purpose is to glorify you forever and ever. We throw ourselves before your throne with the angels and the elders and the four living creatures to worship you, God. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
5: We'll close this morning with a reading from the second chapter of Philippians, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit any affection or mercy complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love being united in spirit and having one purpose instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Let's pray together. Lord, just bless and keep... Each family that is hearing these words this morning, Lord, may we be a blessing this week uh, to those in we, we come in contact with, both those that we know and those that we don't know. Lord, help us turn our eyes towards Christ. Uh, help us to do as these verses ha- have said and to put away vanity and selfish ambition. Lord, move us towards that humility that Christ demonstrated for us. Lord, protect us as we go from this place. Lord, watch over each person here until you complete the promises that you've made to us. Lord, that you have shown us through your Son. It's through His name we pray. Amen.
3: Good morning, Ackland Podcasters. We've just got a couple of announcements this morning. We'll start with the birthdays. Allie Church turns 16 on Sunday the 27th. So watch out. We've got another driver in the youth group. Uh, Bill Crouch turns 94 on Tuesday. Congratulations, Bill. And Clark and Jenna Christian celebrate eight years together on the 29th. Um, also, want to uh, have you guys keep your eyes peeled for more information on the Ackland Fall Retreat. Um, there's going to be a mixture of virtual and socially distanced in-person options, and I know that there will be some emails coming up on that again real soon. So just keep an eye out for those. Thanks, and you guys enjoy your coffee and donuts.
2: You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash ackland.org.
3: Thanks again for joining us. God bless.